Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible is clear throughout, but Proverbs especially is clear on this. Every proud heart is an abomination to the Lord's. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. But God gives grace to the humble. So we have in all of our text really this morning at its core, whether it's Cain and Abel or the Pharisee and the tax collector, we have pride versus a believing humility. That's the center of everything we're going to be looking at this morning. And the context for our gospel reading is really important. Jesus says, he, where it says, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And the other bookend to that is everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Pride is deadly. It's one of the so-called deadly seven deadly sins. And pride at its core, it's an excessive belief in one's own ability, if you will. And because of that, pride usually ends up rejecting the grace of God. Pride in the Bible is also known as vanity or arrogance. We see this right in the opening chapters of the Bible with Adam and Eve. Adam became so proud that he wished to become God, if you will, right? Eat this, Satan says, and you'll become just like God. That's what he doesn't want you to have. They didn't believe God, they believed the lie, and they ate. Then we see that theme of pride carrying throughout the Bible. Whether it's Satan's own fall, or whether it's someone like Nebuchadnezzar walking around boasting that he built all this by his own hands, and God bringing him down by making him act like an animal for a time. Whether it's the Israelites themselves, as we saw even just a couple of weeks ago, how time and time again in their pride and arrogance, they rejected the word of the Lord's. Now we have Cain and Abel, and Cain's sacrifice is rejected. But it's not because it's plants. Sometimes people look at that and say, well, it's just because it was plants. That's why God didn't accept it. But Abel had a sheep, and that's why he's accepted. No, it's not why. It's because Cain's heart was full of pride and arrogance. He did not offer that sacrifice in faith. Instead, he offered it in a pride and arrogance and faith in himself, not in God and his mercy. We know this because what's his reaction to God's rebuke of him. He goes out, and from the wording in 1 John, what it sounds like is he goes out into the field, finds his brother, and says, God, you want a sacrifice? Here's a sacrifice. And then God comes to him and says, where's your brother? Does Cain respond in humility? No, same pride. Am I my brother's keeper? How in the world should I know where he's at? You go find him. His worship was rejected because from beginning to end, his heart was full of pride and arrogance, not in believing humility, not in faith in God or his promises. We have another example of this with the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. 
I mean, he thanks God for himself. Right? And it says there that he prayed thus with himself. It could also be translated, he prayed thus to himself. Which is equally accurate. He's not praying to God, per se. He's boasting. He's full of pride and arrogance. He trusted in himself, which is contrary to what Paul says. Paul says we did not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. No, no, this Pharisee, on the other hand, trusts in himself. And so he comes before God, not in humility, not confessing his sin, but he comes carrying what he thinks are all of his good works before God and saying, look, God, at how great I am. Aren't I wonderful? Aren't I better than all these other people, especially that guy right there, that tax collector? Better than everyone. I even fast more than your law requires. I should get some kind of reward for this, God. Pay attention to me and how great I am. It looks down at everyone around him. In Isaiah, there's this great line, the, the Lord saying what his people say. I am holier than you, stay away from me. <laughs> that's, that's a Pharisee's attitude. I'm holier than you, keep your distance. <laughs> right? In his eyes, everyone's unclean and he is clean. Because he is, as Jesus said, he trusted himself because he thought he was righteous in and of himself. And so this idolatrous self-love turns prayer, which should be an example of faith in action. It should be a point out of the heart before God. Instead, because of his pride, it turns into nothing more than boasting. Boasting in himself, not in God's. Because of this, he doesn't see his own need for forgiveness. He doesn't see his own need for atonement, for his sins to be covered by the blood of Christ. He sees a need for none of that. He's got it all figured out. He trusts himself. Now, there's a great irony here, because just a couple of chapters before, Jesus had said about the Pharisees that they're full of greed and wickedness and hypocrisy. And yet he stands there acting like he doesn't have any of those things. Jesus said, they love those things which are an abomination in the sight of God. But that's the kind of things the Pharisees love. And yet here is this Pharisee not humbled by any of that, but boasting all the more before God about his goodness. And the result of it is quite horrific. He went home from church damned. He did not go home from church justified, that is forgiven. He went home from church still bearing the same sins that he didn't think he had, that he walked into the temple with. He went home carrying them out. He refused to repent. His pride and arrogance, he didn't see any need for it. Now let me ask you something. Do you trust in yourself? I mean, so here's, here's the thing, the problem I think we have with this parable, like, in our hearts, is that we hear this parable, and like Judas at the first Holy Supper, we're like, it's not I, Lord, right? I'm not the Pharisee. Not me. It's, it, these other people might struggle being a Pharisee, but, but not I, Lord's. Well, that's because we, we all have this little Pharisee because of our sin nature. It's all, sometimes he's hidden deep down in our hearts, but we all have a little Pharisee in us that wants to boast in our own goodness. 
in our own righteousness. And it manifests itself in a variety of ways. And in pride in our works, we come before God boasting about what we've done. And act as if God owes us. It's also why it's always much more difficult to confess our sin than our righteousness. That is, it's much more difficult to say, I was wrong, here's what I did wrong, than whether to God or others to say, here's all the great things I've done. It's also always easier, as the Pharisee did, to confess other people's sins rather than our own. It's easier to point out where everyone else has failed rather than take a deep look in the mirror at our own sins. Because of that, we can start to, in our own pride, judge ourselves by what others are doing or not doing versus what we're doing better than them rather than judging ourselves by the holy law of God. And what can happen then is that we can begin to think that we actually deserve God's good gifts, that we think we deserve grace and mercy, but then we look down on others. Well, yeah, I deserve this, but they don't. Look how long I've been a Christian. Look at all these good things I've done. And Satan knows that we're prideful people. He knows that even those of us who maybe struggle on the other side of things, and you think, well, I don't struggle with pride. I have a very low view of myself. But that's still the same flip side of pride. Because the focus is still where? On yourself. Right, so whether it's having what's in the culture they talk about in terms of self-esteem, right, a view of yourself that's low, or a high view of yourself, the focus is still on self. focus is still on you. And Satan knows this, and he comes along, and he appeals to your pride in a variety of ways, to poke and prod it. Even telling you that, look, you don't need to hear that again from your pastor from the Bible. You've heard that before. You know all of that. You can move on to other things. Or maybe it manifests itself in a different way where you say, I know God says that, but... And whatever follows that can be nothing other than pride. Perhaps you look at your life and you think, God, I really deserve better than this. I deserve more. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm not like all these people. You owe me more. Well, there's temporal blessings, spiritual blessings, what have you. We begin to think God owes it to us. Our pride can show itself in an unhealthy self-independence. Um, Right, where we look at ourselves and say, yeah, I did all this stuff for myself. And then we look at someone who's in poverty or an addict or something like that and we say, if only they tried as hard as I did, they wouldn't be in that position. Pride destroys any sympathy for their condition. Pride binds us in chains. Pride blinds us. Pride ultimately can destroy us. Because when left unchecked, when we're not wrestling against that pride and we just let pride have free reign, then it eventually is going to destroy believing humility. Which is why we're in such desperate need to constantly hear the law of God. Because it is indeed that first and foremost, the law of God comes and humbles us. It shows us our true condition. 
You cannot work up the kind of humility the Bible is talking about in and of yourself. To think you can, ironically, would just be another form of pride and vanity. But God's law comes to you and crushes you and says, look at all this pride. You think you're not prideful, but look at it. Look at that Pharisee hiding in the corner of your hearts. How you judge and look down upon others, thinking you're righteous in and of yourself. It's when that law comes and humbles us that then we can, in humility, see ourselves the way we really are. And then we have to repent of our pride, of our vanity, of our looking down on others as if they did not matter, as if they were less than us, as if somehow they're more of a sinner than us. So Jesus says, and the Bible says repeated, that we need a believing humility. And in the Bible, that's always an attribute that has to do with God, how we see ourselves in relationship to God and others. It's not even really so much how we see ourselves, first and foremost, but when we see who God is, right, when we understand who He is, when we understand the demands of His law, when we understand ourselves in light of who He is, what He requires, and then what He's done for us in the Gospel, when we see ourselves rightly in that way, then we cannot help but be Humble. When you know that all you bring to God is your sin, that you have nothing to offer Him besides sin and wickedness, and that He is the one indeed that gives you all good things, whether temporal or spiritual, and that He's covered you in the forgiveness of Christ, how can you be anything but humble? How can you come to God with anything other than a believing humility? Right, we see this with Abel. His sacrifice is accepted because he offered it in faith. He knew he did not have what he needed and God did. Then we have the tax collector. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He sees himself as the sinner. He's not comparing himself to others. Like Paul, right? Paul says, I'm still the chief of sinners. This is even after his conversion. We hear this in Ezra chapter 9. Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. This is the view of the task collector. He's too ashamed to lift up his eyes to heaven. He knows the weight of his sin. He's measured himself not against man, not against his neighbor, not against the Pharisee, but against God's holy law. And he knew, he knew that he did not deserve to stand in his presence. So he comes confessing his sin and doing what? Appealing to the blood of the Lamb. Because that's all he had. And we know that's what he's appealing to because... In Greek, the word here for merciful is not the usual words. It's a word we often translate elsewhere in the Bible as propitiation. That is, he's saying, God be propitiated to me, a sinner. God, look at the sacrifice for sin. Look at that. That takes my place. Pour out your anger and wrath on that. On that sacrifice. Not on me. And that's what Abel task collector and all Christians throughout the ages, it's all they can do. They confess their sin and they cry out for mercy. 
They cry out and point to the cross and say, God, be propitiated to me because of what he's done, because of his blood. May your wrath and anger be poured out on him, not on me. And it was. In various ways throughout our services, we, we confess this all the time. One of my favorites is from the evening service from Compline, by my faults, by my own fault, by my own most grievous faults. And then what happens? You confess that it's all your fault, and then you receive the forgiveness of sins. Or throughout the service, we cry out with the Kyrie, O Lord, have mercy, O Christ, have mercy, O Lord, have mercy. And when you ask God for his mercy, it's the best thing you can pray. You're confessing then at that moment the greatest thing about God. That in Christ Jesus, he has indeed been merciful to you. When you confess that, when you confess that your sins have made it so that you don't deserve anything from God, when you confess that Christ has all that you need and he's done it all for you, you are indeed then humbling yourself before God. And you're calling on God to be the God he promises to be for you. So we hear in Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord, not let the wise men glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty men glory in his might. Nor let the rich men glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. If you understand yourself rightly, then all you have to boast in is in Christ. Your boast is in Him and what He's done for you and how He's saved you, how He's rescued you, how He's covered your sins, how He provides all that you need. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, picking up on this, in the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Paul tells the Corinthians and us, if you really understood yourself rightly, you would realize that you're base. The base things of the world. The things which are despised. That's what you are. And yet God has chosen you in Christ Jesus so that you glory in Christ and not in yourself, that you realize you've contributed nothing. Peter says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Because of these promises of God, when you go to him, in humility and faith, you know that you can cast all your cares upon him. You can cast everything him, all your sin, all your worries and doubt and fear, and you know that he's the one that can take care of it. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. The one who realizes their sinfulness and confesses it, they're exalted, and more on this in a minute, but they're exalted first and foremost by having their sins forgiven. By having them removed. Right? I mean, that sentence really is just a restatement of justification by grace alone through faith alone. 
that you're justified, declared forgiven, all because of God's grace, and you receive it by faith and believing humility. You cling and hold on to it. And then because you've received that, and you see yourself rightly in relationship to God and others, then you can in humility serve the neighbor. You don't have to get the applause of the crowds. You, as Jesus says elsewhere, don't have to let one hand know what the other hand's doing. You can in humility love and serve, realizing that maybe no one else will notice. You can take care of your spouse who is ill and bedridden. And even though no one else sees it, that act of humility done in faith, God is pleased with it. You can change your child's diaper, right? You can clean up someone's throw-up. Those are disgusting things. And yet, out of love and humility, you do it because they're your neighbor and they need your help. And on and on the list could go. Wherever God has set you in your vocations, he set you there to, in humility, love and serve them. Not to be great in the eyes of the world, but to, out of love and humility, love and serve them and do what's best for them. I'm sending out an article today that has a weird title, but you should still read it. It's called Batman and Tolkien's Batman. I think all of you know who Batman is, right? the comic book hero. But article's point is that in Tolkien's book, it's not the, the superhero who's the hero. It's Samwise, the humble, lowly hobbit who just faithfully serves those around him who is the hero of the story. Right? And so, too, for us, it's not about being some kind of superhero, some kind of great thing in the eyes of the world, but just lowly in humility serving others. I've mentioned it several times recently, and part of that is just because I just recently watched it with my kids again. But it's such a powerful thing that I think everyone should watch it, the Dropbox. You want to see an example of humility in action? What it looks like to love people with no really return? Watch this pastor in South Korea who had a box installed into their church where babies could be dropped off. Babies that are usually deformed and handicapped. And how he just they just pour out their love and mercy on them. And they do it not because they're getting some kind of documentary made about them. The documentary was made way after they started doing this. But because in humility, they love and serve their neighbor. Of course, it doesn't mean we're all called to do something exactly like that. But in our vocations, this is exactly what we're called to do to humble ourselves and serve the ones God has placed before us. Finally, let's look at the humility of Christ. Philippians 2, being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ humbles himself by taking on your flesh. Christ humbles himself all the way to the point of the cross. And along that way, he did not always use his majesty as he could, but he often hid it. 
So when people looked at him, as Isaiah says, there wasn't anything about him that would make you look at him and say, oh, that, that guy's the son of God's. He didn't cling to the honors and privileges he had as God's son. I said he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to rescue and redeem you. So that no other name given among men, there's no other name by which you must be saved. The one who exalts himself will be humbled by God. That is a theme throughout the entire Gospel of Luke. Luke has this theme of reversals. Those who are pride and lofty being brought low, and those who are lowly being lifted up. And we see that most clearly in Christ. The one who humbles himself, Christ, is exalted by God. He's raised up. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And yet, I don't know if for us, we really understand what it means to be exalted. We come from a word that just literally means to be lifted up. We consider the Bible says that in Christ Jesus already, you're already seated in the heavenly places. Because you're united with Christ. That all that happened to Christ, that his resurrection, his exaltation, his resurrection, that because you're united to Christ, you'll be raised up on the last day as well. That Christ's exaltation is ascension. Means that even here now, he is lifting you up by cleansing your sins, and he promises to bring you to be with him forever and ever. So even here in the divine service, he is indeed exalting you. First and foremost, by cleansing your sins. By giving you all the heavenly inheritance. In Christ Jesus, you are exalted. In Micah 6, we hear, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your gods? I would encourage you to see yourself this morning that that's exactly what happens. That as you come to the Lord's Supper, that you indeed are walking humbly with God. That you're coming in humility to receive that which you need to survive. So that it begins here. You come and you know that you have nothing but the blood of Jesus to cling to. And that's no different for your neighbor kneeling next to you. All you have is the blood. So that day by day, in believing humility, you live. In believing humility, you will die. Always in the background, having the promises of Jesus. Jesus promised the sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not be despised. When you are humbled by the law of God and you're brokenhearted and contrite, God does not despise that. That is God's goal with the laws to get you to that point. Because Jesus promised, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, to who humbles himself will be exalted. When you are humbled in these ways by God in his words, so too then you'll be exalted by God in his word as you look to and cling to Jesus. Amen. The peace of God passes on your sinning. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.